question that someone uh, put on the bulletin board without signing it. Can we go slow outside? Or can we go slow outside official slow time? Or will fast people make fun of us? Yes. You can go slow uh, unless there's a situation which is obvious. Uh, let's say there's a long line of people uh, washing, the di- uh, wa- washing the dishes, then it would be silly to do that. Uh, the specifying a certain period of time was just an aid to help you concentrate and remember uh, to put that particular practice into action. But certainly if some of you are more drawn to walking very, very slowly and more than just that time, then feel free to do it. Will I make fun of you? Or will fast people make fun of us? If they make, whoever it is, if they make fun of you, Corrado has some connections with the mafia. We'll take care of it. We'll take care of it. It's the last fun. We'll make them an offer they can't refuse. You'll always be able to walk slow after that. It's not true. He's in a different part of Italy altogether. They're more refined than everything. Let's talk a little bit about the breath. A few people today uh, reported being bored watching the breath so, so long, you know, days. And I'm sure that all of us know that from time to time. Sometimes what helps is reflecting on what it is that we're bored with, this breath. Because the breath is very unassuming. Uh, It's like water compared to, let's say, pure spring water compared to champagne and cappuccino and... All right, I'm getting into Italian. (laughs) It's very unassuming and easily overlooked. There's an ancient Indian teaching story which deals with this subject. And it's about a conference that was held between uh, the, six, the senses, all of the senses and the breath. They all met together. And before the conference could get going, they st- there was a jockeying for who was going to be in charge, who was the most important, and who could run, run things. So sound maintained that it should lead and then it, uh, to justify it, it produced exquisite sounds. It just had everyone in tears, just beautiful, extraordinary sounds. It seemed pretty convincing until sight came along and threw out beautiful forms and colors and uh, stole the show away from sound. And smell. The sense of smell came in extraordinary aromas perfume-like and people were just 
completely overpowered. The senses were all overpowered by it. Taste came in and there were these food tastes like no one had ever had before. They were just created by the sense of taste. Touch, feelings in the body that were beyond anything that California has thought up. <laughs> beyond best massage. The mind came in. Sixth sense in Buddhism, the mind is the sixth sense. And just put forward brilliant, magnificent ideas. Intricate and aesthetic and beautiful. Everyone completely captivated by the beauty and intelligence of the ideas. And then the breath came and no one would listen. The breath was trying to also take charge. And they just would elbow the breath out of the way. And they were all fighting with each other as to which one was the should dominate and leave the convention. And the breath was trying to get a word in edgewise, couldn't. Finally, it just got discouraged and just started to walk away. Just started to leave the conference. And as it got further and further away from the conference, each sense started to fall apart. The sense, the, the smells and the tastes and the sights and the sounds started to become more and more feeble, more and more debilitated. And as breath was almost gone, they realized what had happened. And they ran after breath and begged breath to come back because they realized that underlying everything that they were doing was the breath. You get it? <laughs> it's a very subtle teaching story. <laughs> There's no life, no senses. The best intellectual can't do it if they're dead. So that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with uh, life itself. When we start breathing, that we are born from our mother's womb, but first breath sets life as we know it in motion. And at one point, if we breathe in and then we breathe out and then we don't breathe in again, it's called death. So we're really living between those points. And that's what we're contemplating. We're contemplating an extremely unassuming quality. And we lose track of that to some degree because we're denatured, to some degree because we are more impressed with what more obvious things. The mind can throw up all kinds of shows. And we prefer that. Any kind of drama or suffering, worrying, fear, anguish, even joy. And the breath is just going along, doing its job, in, out, in, out, in, out. Uh, one person today, either today or yesterday, I'm losing sense of in this paradise, and, um, wondered about the breath as a devotional object. Often the breath, uh, in, in Vipassana in general, we use a very unassuming language to talk about a very unassuming faculty. In fact, uh, I think, as I understand it, in the Pali language, it's much more rich, but there's a huge gap between the very ordinary mundane language that we use to describe Vipassana practice and the experiences that come out of the practice. If that weren't true, none of us would be here. I mean, it was just like some of the things we read in the, some of the Theravadan texts. Obviously, 
those words, some of which are very dry and just simple and straightforward, lead to experiences that bring us here. Um, Can breath be devotional? Yes. Uh, You know, in the Buddhist tradition and in all the traditions, sometimes uh, what you find is uh, a kind of practice, a devotion to one thing, uh, whether it's, uh, often it's in the form of a mantra, like, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on my soul, or um, in Buddhism there's uh, many versions of uh, in Korean, it's called Kwan and Bolsal. And what's happening when uh, there was one person who I practiced with in Korea, an old grandmother, her whole practice was just uh, saying Kwan and Bolsal over and over. Kwan and Bolsal is the Bodhisattva of compassion in Korean. It's called other things in other languages. And for most of her life, that was her practice. She had hardly read anything. And many hours of the day was spent just repeating Kwan and Bosal, Kwan and Bosal, Kwan and Bosal. Uh, and when she wasn't doing that, she was practicing generosity, compassion, and love in everything she did. Uh, being next to her, when we would practice sometimes, and sometimes she would say it aloud and sometimes quietly, it's very difficult for a Westerner to muster up that kind of depth of sincerity. Uh, maybe we're getting to it, getting to that point, some of us, but uh, this is a person steeped in that culture, and so to say those words, just as, let's say, uh, someone in Islam saying Allah, or someone steeped in Christianity mentioning uh, Jesus Christ, um, the history in back of it, the perhaps centuries of sometimes families uh, being connected to that, was in this person. And so to be uttering this uh, Kwanse and Bolsal had a power, incredible power, because of the devotion to it. So now the question is, can the breath be viewed that way? Sometimes we tend to see the breath and even call it that as a, quotes a concentration exercise, which really trivializes it. I don't know if you can see that. It's true, you get much more concentrated if you stay with the breathing. But is that really what we're doing? Are we just doing a concentration exercise? Probably if we think of it that way, we may already be limiting our practice. And so the answer is, I think, yes, for sure. The breath can be a devotional object if you uh, begin to grasp what the breath is. And I don't mean thinking. Actually, it has been used in mysticisms throughout the world in exactly that way. Uh, Here we don't talk about it that way, but uh, when you start practicing the breath, after a while, there's something special about it. In fact, you can go for, some of us have, long periods of time following the breath. I'm talking about hours. Now, I know we've been doing days, but I mean continuously where it's unbroken and you're not at all bored, not even for a second. Somehow... It's more than the words. The word breath doesn't say very much. Uh, someone asked Thich Nhat Hanh a question recently about, um, is that all there is? This was after a few days of this teaching. The breath, are, isn't there more to the practice than it seems like it's so important to you? 
And his answer was, uh, you know, I've been observing my breath for, for about 50 years and I still find it interesting and revealing new and more wonders and secrets. It's true. Okay, it's not a kind of narrow uh, limiting yourself to the nostrils. Not that that isn't a good practice too. That can be very concentrating. But it's not a narrow concentration exercise. It's a way, with a capital W. It's a way. A way. It's not the way. Don't misunderstand me. It is a way. And a very basic one. Probably it's the most simple, ordinary, and natural one. There's nothing particularly Buddhist about it or Asian or anything else. I mean, we're no patent on it. We're all breathing. Okay. Um, if that doesn't help, sometimes those of you who are getting bored with the breath, there's a new yoga. You won't find it in any books. Just close off your nostrils and tighten your lips real tight <laughs> and hold it for, oh, about five or ten minutes. <laughs> It's a new yoga. It'll appear in books soon. But you won't be around to read them <laughs> if you do this yoga. Um, let's very briefly uh, review what we've been doing and uh, begin to prepare the mind to do something else in addition. So far, we've been contemplating the breath as a pretty much an exclusive object. All kinds of other things turn up and make demands on us. They want our attention. And what the instructions say is you just go back to the breath. As we more and more are able to do that, uh, there are, there's quite a bit of benefit in just simply doing that and simply turning to the breath, remembering to do so, intending to do so, and then right effort is right intention is intending, aiming it, then intending to do it, doing it, bringing it to the breathing, uh, keeping mindfulness on the breath. Just that. One of the things that's happening, or can happen, if you begin to use it this way, is that we short circuit a lot of very deeply conditioned patterns. Let's say the mind that captivates us so much. We're so interested in all the stories that the mind makes up. A lot of it, the mind is talking to itself. It's just talking to itself nonstop. I'll do this and then I'll be that and I used to be and I will be and why aren't I? I'm wonderful. No, I'm terrible. He, she, it, they, when, because. The mind just keeps talking to itself. Often trying to convince itself of something. I would say mainly that it exists <laughs> in some solid, continuous way. If it were more secure, if it really did exist, would it need to talk to itself that much? It's not sure. And some of those conversations we know bring suffering with it. They are suffering. They don't even bring suffering. They are. And a very useful reflection. You, know, you notice that our attention goes from the breath to something else very often. Begin to take a look at what those something else, what that something else is. Does it bring peace? Does it bring joy? So much of what we return to, so we go back to it, we leave the breath, it doesn't bring anything positive for us. It's not beneficial. And yet we go back to it time and time again. The same worry for the thousandth time. The same plan for the five hundredth time. 
over and over and over again. It's not fulfilling. Sometimes it is, at least for a while, but begin to see what we've chosen, how we've gotten conditioned, what we seem to prefer. We prefer something that doesn't seem to bring us to any peace or fulfillment. Reflect on that, if it's true. It's true in my mind. Maybe you have nicer minds than mine. Mine. And on the other hand, when you return to the breath, if you notice if you can stay with the breath with some degree of continuity, not forever, but it's fairly continuous, haven't you at least sometimes tasted a wonderful peace and a joy just simply sitting there in a very uncomplicated way, breathing? Yes, probably everyone would say it. Is there anyone here who has never had one peaceful breath in their entire practice? If so, you get a medal for, you know, just staying here. Some kind of ribbon or a certificate, I don't know, for something. So why is it that we see that this simple object of the breathing, if we turn to it, we begin to feel good. We begin to feel clear. Energy starts to be aroused. The mind becomes clear. It's as if the breath sweeps the mind clear. It's like a little broom. And it sweeps a lot of the junk out of it. And it can be quite fulfilling, including ecstatic, rapturous, and so forth. And yet we'll go back to the the soap operas in the mind. We'll go back to them, even though the evidence is there. Look, it's really much more fun to hang out with the breath than with those stories in the mind. Yes, I know that, but I'm going into those stories anyway. As you begin to see that, it becomes easier to wean yourself from the stories and shift your attention to the breath, like taking a needle off you know, the old phonographs, taking it off, putting it on the breath, or switching a channel from channel preoccupation to channel breath. Okay, as you see that, what you're doing is you have an opportunity to short-circuit a lot of unnecessary suffering as the mind becomes obsessed with something, preoccupied. If you can wake up and just lift it very gently out of its preoccupation and place it in the breathing you've just in that moment saved yourself some unnecessary proliferation of the mind. You've saved yourself some of that. And then you breathe. Now, it's not eliminating that suffering. It it isn't uprooting it, which is vipassana, is what uh, helps us do that. But in those moments, we save ourselves from the suffering. Moreover, uh, it's a bit like a muscle. When we don't exercise a lot of the stories that are so harmful to us, they grow weaker. If we do exercise them, they grow stronger. It's like, what kind of seeds do you want to plant? If you want to plant the kinds of seeds that are in the mind, more angry ones, more resentful ones, more worrying ones, etc., then attention to them, when we get attached to them, nourishes them and strengthens them. When we switch to mindfulness, of any kind of mindfulness really, in, in this case mindfulness of the breath, we're planting seeds that are beneficial for us. So one of the things we've been doing is that. We've been learning to do that. Now, uh, perhaps you've already done it here, but when you leave here, more and more as the breath becomes a vivid object, you can use it to short-circuit a lot of uh, problems and also to just help you gain in clarity, uh, enjoy, and effectiveness in life. Let me give you a very simple mundane example. 
Last week, <clears throat> I had to meet Corrado at the airport in Boston. He was arriving from Italy. And uh, I've never seen this happen. Three planes arrived at the same time, all international flights. And so myself and a friend, we came to pick up Corrado. And the international part of the airport was completely covered. It was wall-to-wall people, all speaking half speaking different foreign languages, French, Italian, Arabic, Cambodian, and everyone holding up signs looking for, you know, who's coming off. And, uh, and then the people are coming out of, there were three exits from customs. So people coming from, uh, from Southeast Asia, from Switzerland, I don't know where, but there were all these languages, all these people looking for relatives with suitcases. It was like Ellis Island or something. And there was no space. Very excited. People waiting to meet their children, their parents, their grandma. It was just, and uh, we got caught up in it. And what happened to me was, I mean, I wasn't hysterical or anything like that, you know, but uh, what happened was I was trying to find the best way uh, to station myself with the three ways in which Karata would come out. I also was concerned in this crowd, perhaps he wouldn't see us and think we hadn't come to get him. Would you have thought that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then he would have taken a cab and gone into Cambridge and then we would have all felt pretty bad about it. So I was vigilant, you know, this kind of paying attention like a cat waiting for a mouse to come out of one of the holes. (laughs) There were three international, you know. And then suddenly I remembered to turn to my breath and just two or three breaths and the mind became totally still, just very, very quiet. And it was watching this, it looked like a lunatic asylum. You know, just, I was just watching everyone rushing around with signs and from both sides, people coming out of the openings, looking for their families, families looking for them. And it was quite moving. It was very, it was touching to see the whole thing. Uh, but the mind was just totally still in the midst of it all. And I could see, ha- I was much more effective. I was much more able to... Uh, to, to put myself where, where I had a better chance and to also not waste time worrying, you know, what's going to happen, will we get Corrado, etc. Not at all. Uh, and then I started to experiment. I like to play with my mind sometimes. Then I would drop the breath and then the thoughts would start coming in again. Maybe you'll come through here and then you will over there. You know. Then I go back to the breath. It just become quiet again. I could just really hear and see and smell and so forth. You might say that's not such a big deal, you know, but it was very nice at the time. It felt like being more fully alive. The reason it did is because I was. I was more fully alive. I was really present and I was able to receive that situation. The people, it was very moving. Corrado didn't get out for about an hour. So it was just watching all of these people from different countries, different languages, all connecting with each other. It was quite something. Um, here, have you had any, had any opportunities to do that? For example, as you know, the mind proliferates. There's a, a term in the Pali language called papancha. And what it has to do with, it's a very, very important subject. It has to do with the proliferation of the mind. Um, for example, let's say right now I have the beginnings of some pain in my ankle because I've been sitting this way for a while. Now, if I have the thought, um, my ankle is in pain right now, that isn't papancha. That thought is very close to what's happening. It's just describing it. My ankle's in pain right now, period. But if 
there's no awareness or what papancha is is suddenly my ankle is hurting and if I keep sitting this way oh it's going to hurt even more and I wonder where it will lead to it can wind up with will gangrene set in where's, <laughs> where's the nearest emergency room is there a hospital in Cumberland an emergency room so the mind can be off, very far away from that simple pain in the ankle the thought my ankle hurts fine papancha or proliferation is where we create these imaginary worlds and then we have to live in them. Right? Life is a dream, it's sometimes said. Okay, so that one of the functions of conscious breathing is, let's say, something wherever you are, and that's why we use this bell of mindfulness. We trust that you're trying to be mindful all the time anyway, but just in case, <laughs> just in case you're not, the bell rings, and when the, as you know, when the bell rings, we stop, whatever we're doing, and we just breathe consciously three or four times. But even more helpful is when you can remember to turn to the breath when you're starting to lose it, when proliferation is beginning to set in. You can take care of yourself that way. You can take very good care of yourself and prevent a lot of unnecessary suffering. Okay, so in the process of following the breathing... We're weakening certain negative tendencies. We're creating a certain source of peace and calm and happiness in the mind. Um, Another benefit is we're learning to be with one thing. And I think for people in the modern world, it's very difficult. Maybe for Americans, tremendously difficult. One, One of the problems that many immigrants have when they come here, particularly ones who I know from the Soviet Union, is so many choices here. They go crazy. You go to a restaurant and there are 500 dishes to choose from. You go into a store, every book and every language, you, uh, clothing, what style do you want? We got it. And people go crazy. They just It's like the mind can't handle so many choices. And not only that, there's a whole industry that's busily giving us more choices. Just as, as soon as we get tired of some of the current ones, new ones come out. This practice in a sense, is a, an antidote to the mo- kind of monkey mind that needs to be entertained all the time, needs variety, novelty, and so forth. If you can do it, and all of us have weathered at least four days, and I know you've been here, you've been practicing for a while, so obviously we all can do it. We're getting practice in working on one thing with devotion, quite sincerely, over and over and over and over and over and over again. If you keep doing this, you'll perhaps before this is over, have been observed 10 billion breaths. I don't know. How many breaths has Thich Nhat Hanh observed in 50 years? Maybe a trillion. But what we're practicing is something that we don't seem to get a whole lot of practice in doing, is doing one thing really well. And it's also a simple thing. Seeing some of the beauty of simplicity. We've lost touch with that. And what we have is a very complicated world. Our minds have become very complicated. And often we invent therapies that are just as complicated as the diseases they're designed to cure, physical and emotional. And I think the logic here is that for a complex source of trouble or disease, you need a simple medicine. At least this simple medicine seems to help because you begin to learn that there's a lot of joy and happiness that's present in the present. It's right here. It's possible to be happy right here, right now, independent of 
whether someone loves you or hates you or you have a lot of money or a little money or you're old or you're young or you're healthy or you're sick or you got promoted or you got fired or it's a rainy day or it's a sunny day or it's hot or it's cold. You know, just add on all the others. It's possible to just turn to a simple in-breath, out-breath, in-breath, out-breath. You can be happy. You can be happy driving a car if you turn to your breathing, especially as you get the knack of it. Okay, so that's some of what has been going on. Uh, Hopefully, we've been preparing ourselves for what's to come. But even right now, when you're with the breathing consciously, and I don't mean to limit it just the sitting at all, it's just throughout the day, one of the things that we're doing is we're cutting down the amount of unnecessary thinking. We're cutting that down. By turning to the breath, that has a way of minimizing or even eliminating all of that proliferation. And it's another way of saying the same thing. It helps us be in touch with the present moment, which is the only moment we have. There's no place else. There's only now. And when we turn to this breath, this breath is an agent, a representative, an ambassador of right now. And we begin to more and more experience right now right now, right now, through the breathing. Okay. um, Okay, I don't think I want to start something major because we don't have a whole lot of time left. Okay, let me um, very briefly uh, set the stage for where we're going from here because we'll be uh, enlarging the instructions soon. Right now, we've been mainly working with the in-breath and the out-breath in an exclusive way. But soon, the field will be open so that we'll be paying attention to whatever is there. And one form of practice we'll suggest, we'll go through a a series of stages, is to to simply sit, to learn how to sit and breathe. Only now, instead of it being exclusive, which is what we call a shamatha practice, shamatha is designed to bring peace, essentially peace to our heart, to cool down the flames that that are there for most of us. And that peace gets deeper as your shamatha grows. That stability and peace becomes more natural for us. It becomes us. As this uh, ability to breathe and to be peaceful develops, there's a, a naturalness about it and we can learn how to, how to rest in that... Na- we can learn how to rest in that naturalness. We can learn how to, uh, finally, we can rest in the breath, rest in the naturalness, but not siesta. It's not, you know, just lying in a hammock, but rather in that period, in that resting in the naturalness of the breathing, now we're much more alert and sensitive to whatever else is there, whatever else comes up, fear, worry, planning. We don't know. Everything is uncertain. 
But as we breathe now, it's no longer just a narrow kind of attention where it's just the breath. Now the breath, we open up the field of attention. It's like up until now we've been practicing in a way like a zoom lens, you know, a, a camera that goes like that. Uh, in a little while we'll also, we'll be doing that too, we'll also open it up so it's a wide-angle lens, a more comprehensive vision, global, so that we're still living in the breathing. The breath is our home, our headquarters, our anchor, our point of stability, our center, whatever words help you. And it's from that place of conscious breath that we're able to be with, envelop, understand, see into and let go of all the comings and goings. One image that has helped me, and it may help you, uh, comes from Ajahn Lee in the uh, forest tradition of Thailand, who also taught Anapanasati in, um, in a very beautiful way. What he suggested is that um, this second practice now, where the breath is not just exclusive, it's not exclusive, but it's really in the middle of whatever else is happening in our life. It's like a spider sitting in the middle of its web. Okay, so that's us sitting and breathing. A fly on one end of the web just grabs it. Whatever else is happening. No, it doesn't lose its composure. The web is there. And for us, what, what uh, begins to happen is the awareness is, um, permeates our being through the conscious breathing. And so our web is really whatever's happening. It includes that bird just got, is in the web, only we're not going to eat the bird. We're just going to hear it. Okay, so whatever is, so that breathing in, I know what it's like to be me right now. And at that stage in practice, which to me is a very mature and very difficult, and we may just play with it a little bit, see if we can do it a little, if we can a little, and then if not, back off and do other kinds of practices. But I would at least like to set the direction. Another way of putting it is that we're learning how to be ourselves. To sit that way when you have no, no preferences. That's what we'll get into perhaps next time. But when you're, you're sitting and you have no agenda, there's no menu as to what it is you're going to do. A slight one in that the breath, but the breath is happening all the time anyway, so it's really there. Um, so what you're doing really is we're learning how to sit with ourselves. We're sitting right in the middle of our experience. And, it, and the breath is always part of our experience. And while we're doing that, we're just being, the art is learning how to just be ourselves from moment to moment. Now, typically we don't do that. We edit all kinds of things out. I don't want to know about that. I don't want to hear this. I do want this. But in the practice, little by little, what we're learning is to just give up. It's hopeless. Stop trying to be someone else. Just be yourself. There's no, there's no one else to be. We have no choice but to be ourselves. And so the practice becomes very ordinary. You're just sitting and breathing and learning how to be yourself from moment to moment. Period. Disappointed? You wanted something more than that? I thought this is about enlightenment and nirvana and anuttara samyak sambodhi. It is. They're not different. 
Can we have a few moments stillness? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.